I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey, everybody, we're back. It's another uh, episode of the Athletic Hockey Show for you on Thursday. Ian Mendes, Sean McAdoo with you. This episode of the podcast that uh, will chat about the Penguins uh, announcing Sidney Crosby's wrist injury uh, that's going to keep him out of training camp and possibly from the first part of the regular season as well. What does that mean for Pittsburgh? We'll discuss where you might want to take Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. If you're in a hockey pool, we'll also chat about some Olympic-related stuff. Uh, lots of news out of the Atlantic Division this week, too. The Ottawa Senators extending Pierre Dorian. Patrice Bergeron, meantime, casting a little bit of doubt on his future beyond this season. Jesse Granger is back for Granger Things, where we'll chat about uh, which teams improved or maybe worsened their Stanley Cup odds for this upcoming season based on the moves they made uh, during the summer. We'll get some listener feedback as well, including a voicemail about Neil Broughton. And we'll ask uh, you if you could uh, watch a behind-the-scenes documentary, like kind of like what they're doing with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Amazon. If you could watch a behind-the-scenes documentary about any team in hockey history, what would you choose? And we'll wrap, as always, with a little This Week in Hockey History, talking about the anniversary of some high-profile defensemen being traded. But as we kick off this episode, uh, Sean, it's Thursday, and this is the week, and you actually witnessed this firsthand, because you and I are in a football pool. This is the week where everybody forgets what day it is, because all day Monday, I thought it was Sunday. Because Monday of Labor Day gives real Sunday vibes. And so I get a text from you, and I didn't check my phone, an hour after our fantasy football draft started, you're like, hey man, you joining the draft? I'm like, oh no, it's Monday. So I'm thrown off. I'm feeling like maybe some of our listeners are thrown off, but it's Thursday and I, I don't know. This week, I don't really know what the days feel like. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think you're being a little charitable to say that everybody forgets what day it is. I, I think it's uh, it's it's some of us. And yeah, you you did get the dreaded. Uh, the dreaded auto draft uh, treatment. So my my condolences in advance, and better luck next year. Yeah. So listen, we'll uh, we'll we'll get talking about hockey pools and drafts in a second here, because as it pertains to the uh, the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they're in the news cycle this week. Sean is a little bit surprising on on Wednesday. The Penguins announcing that Sidney Crosby will miss uh, looks like the entirety of training camp, probably the beginning of the regular season as he recovers from a procedure done to his wrist. And, you know, you, you get to that point where you look at the Penguins and Evgeny Malkin's going to miss 
probably training camp, maybe the early part of the season with a knee issue. Um, you start to feel like, is this thing being held together by duct tape in Pittsburgh? Are we reaching the end of the road? Crosby and Malkin are going to miss the start of the season. Like, Kind of what's your read into Pittsburgh here, given the fact that they're going to likely start the regular season without their two big guys in Crosby and Malkin? Yeah, that's it's tough. And uh, look, guys like that missing preseason, I don't care. There's no uh, Sidney Crosby is going to be uh, completely ready to go whenever he's healthy enough to play. He doesn't need preseason games. He doesn't need to, to, to get in those practices. He he knows what to do and how to prepare. And, and so does Evgeny Malkin. The question is, you know, you look at this. We learned it last year with Tampa, right? You, you the whole Nikita Kucherov situation. Hey, if your star misses the regular season or a big chunk of it or even a little bit, who cares? As long as you make the playoffs and you're healthy going in the playoffs, that's your team to go after the Stanley Cup with. And if you're a Pittsburgh Penguin fan, you're sitting there going, okay, get Sidney Crosby healthy. Get Evgeny Malkin healthy. We know that you know Malkin especially hasn't looked healthy for the last little while. Get it all cleared up. Take the time you need. Be 100% by playoff time. And we got a real good team and we can go chase the Stanley Cup. Who cares if we if we finish a little bit lower in the standings? Uh, than we otherwise would. The regular season doesn't matter. We've learned that lesson over and over again in the last uh, few years in the NHL. Uh, who cares? Just make the playoffs, have a healthy team, have your stars ready to go, and and you've got as, as good a shot at the Stanley Cup as anyone. The question, when you look at the Penguins, is do they make the playoffs without these two guys? And and again, you know, Crosby, it sounds like it's going to be short term, might only be a week or so. But even that, that you know, that could cost them two points that could be the difference. And, it, and the reason is that that division is just so, uh, it's going to be so tough to make the playoffs in that division. There are six teams, I would argue, that all think that they're playoff teams. The, you, you know, you've got obviously Carolina, Pittsburgh, Washington. Uh, you've got the Rangers who think they're a playoff team. Uh, you've got the Flyers who want to get back in. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm missing somebody, but there's, a, there's another good team in the mix there. It's it's very tough and tight, and you've got to sit there and say, okay, when the music stops, there's a couple good teams that aren't going to have chairs. Who's it going to be? Uh, and is it possible that it could be the Pittsburgh Penguins? We're so used to seeing them in the playoffs every year that it it seems on on the one hand, no, of course, you know they're they're going to find a way to get in. But if they're missing guys, you know, Malkin probably long term, Crosby even for a week or two. That could be the difference, uh, and suddenly they don't make the playoffs, and then it's it's disaster, and we're all we're all pointing figures and trying to figure out what went wrong in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's you're right because Tampa, you could you could live without Kucherov because a it was a truncated season, but b you had Point and you had Stamkos and you had Kalorn yep. and you had like you were they are one of the deepest teams going, but you're right, Pittsburgh without Cros I, I can't even picture Pittsburgh without Crosby and Malkin, and we're probably going to see that. Beginning of the season. Now, uh, our pal Dom Luschichin put out his um, fantasy rankings uh, this week. And this is before the Crosby news came down. He's got Crosby at 35, like 35th pick overall. Like, and, and it's funny because, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's Crosby and Ovechkin are back-to-back on Dom's uh, list at 35 and 36. And I'm wondering, like, Crosby's just that type of guy where you're like, man, what do I do? So let me ask you. And again, there's, there's a little bit unknown here as we're only in the early part of September. And maybe this changes in a month. But if you were drafted right now and you knew that Crosby was probably going to miss 
yeah, first couple of weeks of the season. Like, where, like, where do you take Sidney? And this is a crazy question to ask. Where do you mm-hmm. take Sidney Crosby in a pool? I feel like we haven't asked this question since his rookie year, or maybe maybe a little bit around the concussion stuff when there were some questions about his durability and could he play. But this guy has been an automatic top ten for really the better part of fifteen years, yeah. and certainly not going to be the case this year. Like, where would you take Sidney Crosby in a hockey pool? Yeah, it's it's tough to say, and it obviously depends on the format of your pool. Some pools are still just points. Some of them it's it's based on all sorts of stats, and I think that's that's what Dom's looking at when he does his rankings. He's assuming that you've got one of these pools where you're you're also looking at shots and power plays and block shots and hits and all of the the rest of the the numbers that are there, and that's why Crosby falls a little bit uh, maybe further than you might think. Uh, but he's still got him. I, I you know I think when it comes to points as as the fifth or sixth center in the league. And that's, that sounds about right to me. I mean, I, I wouldn't take him ahead of obviously you know, McDavid's the first pick in, in any format. And I, I wouldn't take him ahead of Matthews or McKinnon. There's, there's other guys that you get into that range where you start to to think about him. But um, yeah. And then the, the other thing I want to know is what format is the pool in the sense of, am I playing all year long and we're just going to add up the totals at the end of the year, or is it one of these head to head formats because if it's head to head, you might say, you know what? Okay, I'll I'll go a couple of weeks without Sid at the beginning of the season, and then I'm going to have the guy uh, at locked in for the rest of the year. Fingers crossed, uh, healthy and ready to go. Uh, so it is, it, you know, it's it's tough. But I I looked at Dom's rankings, and I, you know, Dom's really good at this stuff. And I didn't see anything in terms of Crosby that jumped out at me to make me say, oh, you know what? This this isn't the right spot for him. Um, it, those numbers look pretty pretty much right to me. And, you know, the, the number that a lot of people are focusing on in Dom's, uh, Dom's uh, stuff is Connor McDavid, 131 points. Like that, 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 I mean, that's a big number. Do you think McDavid get, and look, this guy got to 100 points in 56 games. Does McDavid get to 130 this season? I, if he's healthy, I think he does. I mean, that, that would be a, a slower scoring pace than what he did last year, albeit in a, a shorter season. I absolutely think he can get there. I, I, I you know, I, I find, I, I write a piece every year and I'm going to do it again this year where I just pick 20 guys and I say, these are the most interesting, intriguing guys to watch in the league as far as I'm concerned. Not the best players, not necessarily the guys who are going to win all the awards, but just the guys who for whatever reason really interest me. And I always put McDavid on the list. And it seems like such a lame pick. Like, oh, yeah, it's the best player in the league. He's fun to watch. Really great insight there. But I just feel every year that it's like, does this guy have another gear? Is he going to find another level? And year after year, I I wrote this last year. I said, like, you know, this guy, he could have a 100-point season, even though we're only playing 50-something games. And he, he went and did it. And now I'm sitting there going, could he do 150 over a full season? You know what? Maybe he could. Uh, it's I, I. I certainly wouldn't put it past him. Now, it's a longer season. Obviously, injuries can happen. Not just injuries where you miss games, but uh, you know he he could he could end up playing through something that hurts his production. The way that Dom has it, he's he's got him at 130 points. That's basically the over under that he's setting. He's saying that it's, it's equally likely that he'll have more or less. He's not predicting that exact total. Um, again, seems pretty good. But I, honestly, if I had to bet, and certainly if you told me. That, that Connor McDavid was going to be reasonably healthy all year. I'm taking the over on that. I, I think he can get closer to 140, maybe even 150. Uh, and and that's just based on the pace that we saw last year, plus the fact that another year in the league, I think he could be even better than he was last season. 
you know, as you you talk about your uh, every year, you do the twenty most interesting players. Let, let's just spitball this here for a second, okay? And I'm going to throw out a couple of names. You tell me if you know. I know you don't want to give away everything here, but and I think our listeners will probably appreciate the fact that we're we're spitballing this story idea of yours and mm-hmm. not your story about the rhyming uh, player names. Uh, because I think that might have made for a painful podcast. Did you did you run it through the audience? I think the people should <laughs> should get a chance to vote on this. That that's been one of my most popular pieces of the year. The the quest for the six man starting lineup of players whose names rhyme. And by the way, I'm it's been fascinating to learn <laughs> what people think does and doesn't rhyme. That yeah. is, uh, oh yeah, that was that was good. But yeah, but hit me with some intriguing players because I've okay. got I've got about two thirds of the list penciled in, but I haven't sat down to actually finalize it. So I'm happy to have you and, and the audience do some of my work for me. Okay, I'm going to throw out a couple. You tell me again. Maybe they're too obvious, maybe not. Artemi Panarin. Yeah, that's that's a good potential one. I, I try to limit it to one per uh, team. And the the guy that I th- I'm leaning towards on the Rangers, and there's a few. You could go, certainly you could go Panarin. You could go Mika Zibanejad because with the contract coming up, uh, I'm I'm really fascinated with Adam Fox. I want to see what happens here because there really isn't a ton of precedent for what we just saw last year where a guy certainly doesn't come out of nowhere, but a, a good player in his second season goes from, hey, this is a good young player to, oh, this is actually one of the better young defensemen in the league to, oh, hey, we just gave him the Norris Trophy uh, in a league where that typically has been a lifetime achievement award that, that you have to build up to over time. And I'm really... Fascinated to see whether that's the launch pad to, to him going on and and becoming even better, or if, if this ends up being kind of a Jim Carrey situation where we look back and go, oh, that was a little bit weird that a good player, uh, but maybe not a truly elite guy, uh, got that award. I, I want to see how he follows it up this year. Okay, this is a name that I think will probably end up making your list, and maybe it's too obvious, but Tony D'Angelo. Yeah, you know what? That, that, could, be, that could be another one again. I go one per team, and it's it's got to be Kotkaniemi on Carolina. Is is Ooh, my I don't know. I mean, everybody's so? everybody's yeah. gonna be watching him. It's six million after that whole drama and everything. That it, it's not this season is gonna be not just a referendum on him as a player, but that whole Carolina organization. Mark Bergevin, obviously, if if he's if if he shows even you know slight progress as a player and looks like he's maybe headed towards something, then. Mark Bergevin's going to hear all sorts of criticism, but if he doesn't, if he keeps looking like the same sort of guy he was last year, then then you're going to hear Carolina. People are going to be coming after Carolina with both barrels. I, I think to me, like Kotkaniemi is probably the biggest slam dunk on the whole list as far as guys that I'm just really intrigued to watch because it just it feels like every single game that he plays is just going to immediately turn into a referendum on that whole offer sheet mess. Yeah, you know what? And maybe maybe Tony D'Angelo is do, doing cartwheels when they got caught Kanyemi because he might be right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it makes me wonder too: Are the Carolina Hurricanes, who have historically been this sort of very, and I know last couple of years they've certainly gotten a little bit more exposure with a bunch of jerks and they've been a good team, but it feels like they've escalated to kind of maybe the most intriguing team in the entire league. On, yeah, on some levels, right? That, you know what you you could make that case. I, I think because you look at. Uh, you know, the, the two situations we just mentioned, Dougie Hamilton walking away, you know, in free agency and they, they made offers, tried to keep him, but uh, were they willing to go as high as some other teams? Would he have stayed? We don't know the goaltending situation there. I mean, that's, 
that's fascinating to, for a team that for years you just kept waiting for them to find a goalie. It feels like they finally find the guy and then they flip him for a draft pick rather than pay him uh, and and go with a couple of veterans. Uh, could work out great. Who knows? It, you know, goaltending it's it's feels impossible to predict. Might work out great, but if man, if if they're if they're a great team and then they're struggling in goal again this year going to be a lot of questions asked there and then you just, i mean you just look at the guys up front you know how svechnikov is is a fascinating player to watch just just all sorts of fun uh it it's it's a real interesting team and then you mix in the whole dynamic and the the, the celebrations and the kind of us against the world vibe that they're very very good at uh, at locking into and and putting out in the world um yeah i i don't do a most intriguing teams list but if i did yeah they they would be uh, they'd be in the running for number one for sure. Evander Kane. I'm thinking Evander Kane is probably going to be mm-hmm. one of the most watched players in the league for a myriad of reasons. And again, his his status is even a little bit murky. Yeah. But boy, if he goes back to San Jose, does that not seem like a a situation that everyone's going to have their eyeballs on? Yeah, I feel like that's that's one that it, we're going to be watching obviously as the season approaches because the league has told us that they're they've done this. Or, or they're in the process of doing this investigation and they want it to be finished by the time the season starts. We haven't heard anything, which is fine. Uh, they, they, this sort of thing doesn't have to be done uh, publicly and, and with frequent updates. But uh, whether we even see Evander Kane playing to start this season is is going to be interesting. Uh, and then, you know, certainly if, if the investigation comes and goes and, uh, you know, they can, they can tell us that, uh, hey, accusations were were untrue he's been cleared you know here's here's why here's what we found or didn't find and and that feels convincing then i guess we move on and and evander kane probably is viewed as uh as any other player in the league but if if this cloud is still hanging over him then yeah certainly it's it becomes a uh you know becomes a situation and and then on top of that you've got the reporting that we've had uh that, that kevin kurtz done at the athletic about how his teammates feel about him, how he fits into that dressing room, whether, you know, some guys have, uh, are, are just kind of tired of him. It's, it's not, it's, it's not an easy player to move, uh, given not only his situation, but his contract. Uh, so if you're the Sharks, you're, you're probably stuck with him. And, and given what he can do on the ice, uh, you know, you, you might be fine with that. He had a real good year last year. That, that kind of gets, gets forgotten amidst the other stuff and, and rightly so, but, uh, yeah, that, that whole situation is, is going to be a very interesting one to watch between now and the start of the season. And then we'll see if it drags on past that. Yeah. And listen, we'd love to, I'm sure Sean would love it. If, uh, you know, you've got some feedback on what players should make his list of 20 uh, guys to watch this season. I'm sure he would appreciate it. You can hit him up on Twitter, down goes Brown, or even send us some, uh, some viewer feedback or listener feedback here. I, I'm sure you would appreciate that. So Listen, since you and I have been on the air uh, or uh, done a podcast together, uh, the NHL has uh, confirmed that the players are headed overseas for the Olympic Games. And this is going to be the first time since 2014 that we have had the uh, players at the Olympic Games. And, you know, we were talking about Crosby and McDavid uh, earlier in the podcast. So, you know, that those two will likely be slam dunks and be fun to watch them as teammates. Now, I'm going to ask you this. Like, this is the first time we've had the players at the Olympics since 2014. We had that weird World Cup of Hockey in 2016. So let me ask you this. When we get to the Olympics in 2022, will that be the first time that you believe that we've had best-on-best hockey since 2014? Or do you count the 2016 World Cup of Hockey 
in the best on best thing. Yeah, I, I, I do. I count uh, I count the World Cup as best on best, and and part of that is, uh, you know, when I was growing up, the the World Cup, which back then was the Canada Cup, that was the only game in town as far as as best on best that featured NHL players, uh, and it was it was great. It, it, you know, some of the best uh, best memories uh, from from the hockey world was from those tournaments. Obviously, you remember '87 with with Canada and the Soviets, and uh, '96 when it when it becomes the World Cup and Team USA pulling off the upset. You and I were in Montreal watching that uh, watching that game play out, uh, con- completely convinced yeah. that Canada would pull it off like they always did, and, and then watching it all fall apart and and the Americans take it. Uh, I, you know, I, I really like Canada Cup slash World Cup and, uh, you know, 2016, they played with the format a little bit. Uh, you know, obviously Team North America, you could make the argument, was it really a best on best? Connor McDavid wasn't on Team Canada. Austin Matthews wasn't on Team USA. Uh, and, and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure on how I felt about that at the time. It, watching it was obviously all sorts of fun. I mean, Team North America kind of stole the show as, as far as having the young guys. But but even then, I, I, I wasn't completely convinced that I wanted to see it going forward. If we're back at the Olympics and if this is actually going to happen, I actually don't mind the idea that you keep both and you let the Olympics be the traditional, pure, best-on-best best tournament. And then you let the World Cup be the one where maybe you get a little bit more creative. And you know, maybe you do Team Europe. Maybe you do... A team North America, you know the the younger guys. Maybe you you figure out ways to play around with the format a bit that you wouldn't normally do, and then you let the Olympics be kind of the the true best on best, the true measure, uh, and and let the World Cup be something that's that's maybe a one A, 1A, but you can have some fun with. I, I think that's a good balance every two years uh, to get the best players in the world against each other. It doesn't feel like overkill to me. Yeah. It, it- it's funny because I think I looked at that 2016 thing. I didn't personally. I, I mean, I enjoyed the like the under 23 team, the young guns, whatever we called them. That was fun. Team North America. That was fun. But I think back and I think, well, if we had that set up for the Canada Cup, like Mario Lemieux in 1987 wouldn't have played for Team Canada. Like he he would have been on this young guns team, and we wouldn't have had that magical moment, right? So it, it, yep. it I'm, I'm torn on it, but I do like your idea of yeah, maybe. Maybe you do do something fun, and and we see this. Like think of golf. Like you do different things, right? Ryder Cup and different. Like mm-hmm. they're different formats. You don't have to just stick uh, to country on country. And maybe you can you know play around with some things and and have some fun. And I think at the end of the day, though, I'm super happy that we're going to see the NHL players back in the Olympics because I think once we got that in Nagano, to me, it's really hard to put the genie back in the bottle yep. and say, yeah, you know what, uh, we're gonna go back to the World Cup. I think. There's been a generation, if not two, that has grown up with watching the Olympics, and that's what they, they that's what they aspire to as as young NHLers, right? Yeah, and 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 look, you you, you got to look at the history as well with with the World Cup. I mean, the U.S. winning in '96 was one of the biggest uh, events in in American hockey history, but then partly because they go to the Olympics, and they go to the Olympics partly on the strength of of the momentum from that '96 World Cup. They don't do another one until 2004, and that was the one you remember right before the lockout where they kind of yep. squeezed it in, and it was like literally Canada wins the trophy, and then the next day the NHL shuts down, and uh, it it really got overshadowed, and so it's 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 certainly been secondary, um, and uh, yeah, having you know the the Olympics are going to be the premier event, uh, I you know I think that's pretty clear, but look the other piece of this is. 
when you do the World Cup, it's under NHL control, right? So you you don't have to worry about the games being on at four in the morning because of wherever the Olympics are held. You don't have to worry about the rights and you know all this other stuff and using the imagery that uh, that we hear about. The NHL can control it, do it in their own rinks, their own rules. Um, you know, it, it's uh, again, I, talk to me ten years in if we've had if we've had these every two years, you might say, you know, this is starting to get a little much. Um, but right now. Uh, you know, I, I, I love this stuff. I love when you can actually get the very best in the world. Hockey's one of the only sports in the world where you get the very best. And it, it is a true question mark about who's going to win, you know, any, any given night. Um, it's a lot of fun and it's, it's where players can really, uh, make or break reputations. And it's, it's, uh, I, I, there is a too much, I'm sure there is, but I don't think every two years is it. You know, I, you mentioned the 2004 World Cup of Hockey kind of got overshadowed. Do you remember who scored the game-winning and essentially, I guess, tournament-winning goal for Canada that year? It was Canada against Finland, I believe, yeah. in the final. Do you remember who scored the winning goal for Canada? No, I don't. I Honestly, all I remember from that tournament is uh, is, is that stupid trophy that they yeah. uh, that they debuted. Who scored the, Who scored it? Oh, see, I thought you were. I thought you were actually going full pun mode. When you okay. said, no, sorry, I don't remember who scored the goal. Wow. You Shane know what? Doan. I, okay, I don't remember Shane Doan being on Team Canada. So that, it would have taken me. <laughs> Didn't wow, he score? I, I, I'm pretty sure he yeah, was the guy. I, I don't doubt you. I don't doubt you. But yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that it was, I just remember that being such a, a, a strange, because, you know, it was the, the first time we had had a, a World Cup in eight years. And it was, and I think. Uh, like, didn't Mario Lemieux come back? So it was his first time playing on a Team Canada uh, it, at, at that event. Uh, you know, he'd, he'd been on the Olympics. It, you know, and you're watching it. It's fun. But it was like it was like watching something on the eve of the end of the world. Because, you know, as, as we were constantly being told that the NHL is over on September 15th. And it was the night of September 14th. I think they're playing the gold medal game. And then Puck goes in. They hand out that ugly trophy. And then the whole hockey world just goes away for a year. I feel like you could, like you just told me Mario Lemieux played on that team in 04. I have no recollection of that. Yeah. I, like, well, you know, I could be wrong. So I'm, I'm going to sort of quietly check it as we, uh, I, as we I, go. Like, but I, 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 you could tell me, like, I have this vague recollection again. Tell me if I'm wrong. Did Robin Regeer play on that team for Canada? He, he might've that, that sounds like a, it, he, it that sounds like a Robin Regeer type of uh, type of thing. Yeah, he he was. Marilyn Me was on the Canadian World Cup team. That could, uh, yeah, that could be the next game show. Was this player yeah. and what, on and, the and, forgotten two thousand four Canadian just, World Cup? <laughs> just out of curiosity, if you have the roster there, was Robin Regeer on the two thousand four Team Canada all World right, Cup of look, hockey? Now I'm looking up all the rosters. This is this is what you get when there's no hockey news. It's just going to be. We're just going to read the uh, Canadian. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, they don't have the, uh, they don't have the full. Here we go. Canadian roster. Canadian roster. Let's go. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to throw some names as I, as I hit. Eric Brewer was on that team. Uh, Robin Regeer was on that team. <laughs> yeah. Jose Theodore was one of the goalies. Brendan Morrow was on Team Canada. Scott Hannon was on Team Canada. All right, I've lost all credibility at this point. People think I'm making this up, and yeah. I'm just throwing names out there. Scott Hannon made Team Canada. Never stop dreaming, kids. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, and then 
And then like also Simone Gagne, but he showed, I feel like he shows up on like four different team Canada's that, uh, that people are always shocked, but wow. Yeah, that was a, that was a very weird year. And uh, yeah, not a, not a very well-remembered tournament for sure. All right, Sean, uh, time for us to bring back Jesse Granger with a little Granger things. Again, this segment brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us at The Athletic. Always great to have Jesse Granger back in the saddle. And hopefully, Jesse, you had a little bit of downtime. Great to have you back on The Athletic Hockey Show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, and uh, by the way, you're, you're pinch hitting next week. Uh, Sean McAdoo, down goes Brown, is going to take some well-deserved time off uh, next week. So... It's you and I next week on the Athletic Hockey Show. Can't wait. I'm pumped. Yeah. So here we go. We get you back for Granger Things. And, you know, Sean and I appreciate this segment with you because you're able to give us, you know, whether it's, you know, fantasy advice, betting advice, things of that nature. And as we start to look ahead to the new season, um, obviously some teams' championship odds have shifted, either for the better or for the worse. So here's what we're going to do. You've got a list of kind of how everybody's Stanley Cup odds have, have shifted since the Cup was awarded. Sean and I are going to take a stab at which teams maybe improve their odds the most. So why don't we let Sean go, the team that you think, Sean, maybe improve their odds the most. Hmm, okay. Uh, who has improved? Are we talking... What? So, while so we're, talking, about this, we're talking yeah. the whole league here, right? Or are we talking teams that were already favorites? Because I, I got one in mind, but I don't know no. if they're that high on the list. But I'm guessing they're a lot higher. So the way I came up with this list is it's every team in the league. And it's not by their line movement. So um, these teams, I just compared their line movement from September, or sorry, July 19th, a couple weeks after Tampa won the Cup, to September 8th yesterday. And the way I did it was by percentage. So if a team went from plus 57 or 5,000 to plus 4,000, that's minus 1,000. That's 20% change. So, sure. And the reason I did that is because a team that's plus a ton, a huge long shot, right. getting a couple points doesn't make as big of an impact on the odds as a team that's plus 600 getting a couple points. It's a major, major difference in those two teams. So I did it by percentage of change of their, of their odds since July. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my, my first pick out. I'm assuming that the Chicago Blackhawks have seen a big jump in their odds from probably next to nothing to maybe middle of the pack. Yep, you are correct. We got a winner. Chicago Blackhawks, number one team. Uh, they went from... 65 to 1 in July to only 40 to 1 now. Um, that's a 2,500 uh, difference on the line. That's a 38.5% change, which is a massive change uh, in odds. And obviously, it's pretty obvious why. Adding Seth Jones and you add the, the best goalie in the league last year, Marc-Andre Fleury, without losing a single thing off your roster for him. So um, they've gotten a lot better. I also think it's kind of a shift in mentality. I think you see those odds. I think when the odds makers made those odds, we kind of a fit, we kind of figured this is going to be a rebuild for Chicago. And it's not just the players they added, but it's the fact that they're trying to make one more run with this with this core of Kane and Taves and those guys. So um pretty easy. Uh easy, easy choice for number one. Yeah. And and plus they get Jonathan Taves back too, right? Essentially right. didn't play last year. And you know, those are some additions, like you said, without any uh, significant significant subtraction. I guess Duncan Keith maybe a little bit, but still, you're getting Seth Jones. All right, I'm going to take a, a stab here. And again, they're, they're probably like Chicago in that 
they're not uh, in the top five or ten, but I'm I'm thinking, Jesse, the New Jersey Devils have improved their odds. They certainly have. They are number two on the list. And and obviously, you land free agency's biggest prize, Dougie Hamilton. That's a big part of this. Uh, they've been searching for a for a top-end number one defenseman for a while. They thought they had one in P.K. Subban. That hasn't worked out as well as they hoped. Hamilton projects to, to work out a lot better. And then you also add, I like the addition of Tomas Shatar. The guy has scored everywhere he's gone except for Vegas, uh, the brief time I covered him here. Uh, Ryan Graves from Colorado, I think, is a good add. They they fixed their backup goaltending, hopefully, with Jonathan Bernier. Uh, it's been kind of the case for them where every time Mackenzie Blackwood goes out, they're in trouble. Um, I think they they feel a lot more comfortable with that position. They went from 80 to 1 to only 50 to 1 now. So their odds went down 3,000 points on the on the money line from 8 plus 8,000 to plus 5,000. That's a 37.5% difference. So almost as big of a change as the Blackhawks. Like you mentioned, this is going from kind of being a bottom feeder expected to not make the playoffs at all to kind of in the middle of the pack. Maybe they can compete for a playoff spot. Interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. do, do we have, do we want to, I'm, I'm interested in the teams that dropped and I'm sort of thinking through this in, in my head because it, I, I guess when you're looking at teams that, to take a step back or forward. This is based on the end of the season. There are teams that maybe had a lot of changes in the offseason, but the people who are setting these odds, they're not dumb people. They know, they can look ahead and try to figure out what teams are going to do what. And right. some of that is going to be baked in. And the team that that really jumps out to me at is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, I think you could make a case that there aren't very many teams in the league that lost more than the Lightning this year as the, as the cap crunch finally hit them. But the guys they lost were guys that most of us assumed they were going to lose. Everything kind of played out the way we thought. We, we figured they were going to lose that whole third line between expansion and, and free agency. We figured they probably weren't going to be able to bring back David Savard. We knew they'd been trying to trade Tyler Johnson forever. Did, did we see a movement there? as they got worse over the offseason? Or was that all baked in to the point that it, it didn't shift all that much? Yeah, so Tampa Bay is um, not, they're not one of the three teams that uh, whose odds changed the most, but they actually did improve their odds. Um, not a lot, but from 750 plus 750 to plus 700. So okay. um, they've, they've gotten a little more likely to win the cup. Um, and I think that I think that that is, remember, Lines are changed by odds makers when they see yep. something happen, but more so, more than anything, they're changed when money is placed on the table. That's the way, that's the, the easiest way to move odds. And I think that Tampa going down from seven plus 750 to plus 700 tells you that I think hockey betters, let's wait and see what Tampa does. We know they have to unload some salary. Let's make sure this isn't a disaster. And then I think yep. people liked the way they unloaded it. Obviously, yep. you lose some really good players, but you knew they were going to have to. I think people liked the way they did it. They looked at that team and said, yeah, I think that still might be the best team in hockey and put some money on it. Um, to kind of round that point out, the final team that was that improved their odds the most, along with New Jersey and Chicago, is Montreal. And you look at Montreal's offseason, it's clearly not because of the moves in the offseason because they lose yeah. Philip Deneau, they lose Corey Perry, Shea Weber's likely out. All they brought in was Matt, Mike Hoffman and Matthew Perot. They didn't improve much at all. But I think what happened was they started out plus $5,700. That is ridiculous for a team that went to the final four. And I know it was kind of a Cinderella story and they got there, but just to put it in perspective, they literally started the off season in July with worse odds to win the Stanley cup than Seattle, which is wow. insane. So I think what happened with that, 
line movement isn't it has nothing to do with Montreal's actual offseason and more to do with people seeing that line saying, wow, that team was in the conference finals last year and I can get them at plus five thousand. They've bet it all the way down to only plus 4,000 now, um, which is kind of in the middle of the pack. Obviously, Montreal is getting a much tougher division. There are a lot of things that factor into this. But I think just to, to kind of further that point of offseason moves aren't the only thing that move the line. Money moves the yeah. line. And with Montreal, I think that's clearly the case. That's that's fascinating. We, we could have sat here and and tried to guess that third team for a long time before I, I would have I would have thought it was Montreal. Yeah, I, sure. I, in fact, would have thought Montreal would have been on the other side of the spectrum, the teams that worsen their odds. Uh, but you're right, Jesse. It doesn't always deal with changes. A lot of it is based on the money. So let me take a let me take a, a, a stab here at a team that maybe is on the other side of the spectrum that maybe watch their odds worsen the most. And I'm going to throw the Boston Bruins out there only because, in my opinion, Tuka Rask, who's been a mainstay as uh, their goalie, is certainly not going to start the season there. Dave Krejci, who's been dynamite as their second-line center, is overseas. So I'm going to throw Boston out there. Am I am I wrong on that? Boston's odds actually haven't changed at all. They okay. went from plus 1,200 to plus 1,200. Um, I agree with you that they, they, they have lost some really key pieces, and I think Krejci is even more important than Rask maybe um, because he's hard to replace. Um, the team that actually has has changed their odds the most for the worst are the Arizona Coyotes. And yep. you look at what they've done this offseason. It doesn't surprise you at all. They went from plus 6,500. So to put that in perspective, that's they weren't that different from the Montreal Canadiens in July. The Canadians were plus 5,700. The, the Arizona Coyotes were plus 6,500. And then they shipped out their number one goaltender, Darcy Kemper. Their best forward, Connor Garland, both backup goalies, Aiden Hill and Antti Ranta. They shipped out Michael Bunting, Alex Goligoski, Nicholas Shalmerson, Jordan Osterley. It was a purge in Arizona. And then now they're all the way up to 150 to 1 plus 15,000. That is a 130.8% change from their odds. They more than doubled yeah. uh, since the offseason. And it basically went from this Arizona team is competitive. They're probably not going to win the cup, but they can give some teams some problems, which is what they've done for the last couple of years, to this is one of the worst teams in hockey. They are now, um, they went from the 17th best odds right in the middle of the pack to way down there um, near some of those teams like Buffalo and Detroit that basically have no shot at winning and it. You, you talked about Chicago, the importance of signaling that, hey, the, the rebuild is over. We're trying to win now. Arizona basically unfurled a great big banner that said, this is a tear it down yep. uh, rebuild. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that the betters uh, and the odds makers would respond to that. Let me throw two more teams at you because I'm I could see these guys being towards the bottom and I'm really interested to see um, because because I think both of these teams, you could make an argument got worse, not necessarily, but you can make an argument that they got worse in, in unexpected ways. And that's Colorado and Carolina. Did did either of them see a drop? So Colorado, their odds stayed the same. They were plus 600. They're six to one. They are the favorites to win the cup. They were when the season ended. They are the favorites really? to win the cup now. They're just a hair better than Despite losing a starting, their starting goaltender, uh, which I guess, you know, I think that, you could that, argue that, was that Kemper could be better. Risk. Kemper you could be better. I mean, he wasn't yeah. better last year and he hasn't been on a better team, but I think you, you and, and they lost a first round pick to, to replace their starting goalie, which hurts, but it doesn't hurt this team, right? It right. doesn't hurt this team to win the cup. Um, the, the Hurricanes, their odds did get worse. They went from 14 plus 1400 to plus 2000. Um, that's a 42.9% change. That's 
up there with the bat with with the teams that uh, got the worst okay. over this offseason. They are still. We'll we'll see what that team does. Um, I was so surprised with the way that they do, the way they handle their goalies. I am every off season. Um, the other team that that did end up getting on this list that their their odds got significantly worse was the Nashville Predators. Um, they mm-hmm. they were obviously involved in that big trade where they traded Ryan Ellis and and you bring Cody Glass back and that's kind of a rebuild move and he hasn't worked out here in Vegas. He maybe he could be better for the future, but obviously they got a lot worse losing Ryan Ellis as well as Pecorino retiring Victor Arvidsson. Uh, Cali Yarn, Kroc, those guys, they went from plus 3,500, which is 17 best odds, to 6,600. Uh, that's an 88.6% change. Uh, they almost doubled their odds also. Nashville, man, they were so close for so many years. And I think covering the Vegas Golden Knights, I think that's what you, if, if you're Vegas, that's what you hope you don't become, right? Because they've become, yep. they came so close so many years. And then it just seems like it's, it's been going in the wrong direction the last couple of years. And I think now we're finally to the point where it's like that, that team is no longer a contender at all. Can, can I just real quick ask about two other teams? If you've, if you've got For the sure. list in front of you, the, yep. one would be Vegas just to see, you know, the, the response to the flurry uh, move. And the other one is, would be given the timeline you're looking at is Seattle. Because, you know, did, did they went from having nothing other than potential and, and a, an upcoming expansion draft to having and that now the, the betters and the odds makers have seen what the roster is going to look like. Did they go up or down from nothing to what they have today? Yeah. So Vegas did get worse. They went from 700, which they were right behind Colorado. They were the second favorite at plus, plus 700, seven to one. Um, to now they are 850. So eight and a half to one. Uh, Tampa Bay leapfrogged them into second place behind Colorado. So Vegas still considered amongst the favorites right up there with uh, Tampa and Toronto and, and Colorado. But it did change a little bit and it, and it got a little worse. And obviously you lose a, a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, who's not only as good as he is, but he's as popular as he is here in Vegas. Uh, that that goes to that. And then obviously, uh, so Seattle Kraken, they actually didn't change at all. They went from 50 to 1, and they are still at 50 to 1. I think, and remember, the Golden Knights, before they got their players, they were at 500 to 1. Mm-hmm. Um, the odds, I think we've talked about it on here before, the odds makers have learned their lesson. They, they, they were like, we're going to put, t- Seattle has the 22nd best odds in the league to win the Stanley Cup. Their, their odds are better than Vancouver, Los Angeles, Nashville, San Jose, Columbus, Detroit, Ottawa, Anaheim, Arizona, and Buffalo. So um, they didn't change because the odds makers are playing that one safe. I doubt there's a lot of money on Seattle at 50 to 1. Uh, that's not very good odds for a team that just added all of its players and they never played together. So uh, probably not a lot of money going across the desks here in Vegas uh, for Seattle. Makes sense. Yeah, listen, terrific stuff as always. And like I said, Jesse, next week, uh, it's a full episode of Granger Things. We'll do the full uh, hour with you and uh, we'll bounce around the National Hockey League. So listen, appreciate your pinch hitting uh, next week and uh, always appreciate having you on the the, uh, the podcast. Thanks for this. Have a great week and uh, we'll chat with you uh, next Thursday. Definitely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jesse. All right. Like I said, looking forward to having Jesse uh, sit in for uh, for Sean next week. Hey, before we get to a voicemail from a listener, Sean, just want to ask you about something that happened this week. And I, I, I always like getting the opinions of people who don't like, look, I, I cover the Ottawa Senators as a beat reporter, right? So I'm really in it. I'm entrenched in it. And so sometimes it's really valuable to get the opinions of, of people who are, quote unquote, on the outside. So what was your reaction when the Ottawa Senators announced a contract extension for Pierre Dorian this week? And again, this is a team that has missed the playoffs in four straight years. And 
they give the general manager a contract extension. Were you surprised? Were you shocked? Were you indifferent? Like what what was the what was the feeling that you had when you saw that news? No, I, I I wasn't surprised. I mean, I think like a lot of people when they made the Pierre Maguire move this summer, there was that thought in the back of your head that hey, did they just hire Pierre Dorian's replacement? And uh, with him going into the last year of his contract, if he had gone through the season uh, with that status, uh, everybody would have been wondering that, and there would have been questions. And sometimes that's life in hockey. But the fact that they extended him, look, Pierre Dorian, the team hasn't been very good. But it's been a rebuild. I think it's been pretty clear what the approach has been in Ottawa ever since uh, they they followed up that that run to the conference final with that disastrous season. This has been an old school tear it down to the strips rebuild, uh, and uh, and they've I think Pierre Dorian's done a reasonably good job with that. Now sometimes that can be one of the easier jobs a GM can do. It's it's always easy to move stuff out uh, and and bring in the picks and the prospects, but uh, he, he's done a good job of it. He's They've got a good system in place. They've got some good pieces. I don't think they have enough pieces to warrant maybe some of the long-term optimism that, that you're seeing in extreme cases. I, I, I still think there's some question marks, and, and certainly the ownership question kind of hangs over everything. But given what he's had to work with, I think Pierre Dorian's done a reasonable job. Not every move has been a hit. Not everything is, has worked out, but that's that's life as an NHL GM. It didn't shock me to, to see him get an extension. It surprised me a little bit, and I think the part that we're going to remember from this, uh, this week, it, to see both him and Eugene Melnick basically plant their flag and say the rebuild is done. Um, that is a, a, the kind of statement that it can have some value because we see teams sometimes get stuck in perpetual rebuild. And it never goes anywhere. And, uh, you know, to say, look, we're done with that part of of the development plan and we're moving into the next chapter, that could have some value. But, man, that could also be the sort of thing that gets thrown back in their face when they're halfway through the season and they're 10 points out of the playoffs. And even if the young guys are doing well and suddenly fans uh, both in Ottawa and outside are saying, hey, I thought the rebuild was over. What's going on? And and suddenly the pressure ranks up. I, I think the fact that they both kind of said it tells me that it was a it was a calculated thing that they, they want that message out there. But that's what's going to be interesting to me uh, is to see if this season starts off slow, if the season doesn't go as well as some of the optimists think it might go, does that get revisited? Do we have to move the goalposts a bit uh, or or how does that play out? But the extension itself, no, it, that didn't that didn't stun me. OK, and one other quick note that I think I think was interesting that happened on Wednesday is Patrice Bergeron spoke to reporters and Sean basically, look, he's going into the last year of his deal and was like, you know what? Just going to talk about next year, next year. And, and, and you know, at, at the very least, he has cast a little bit of doubt onto his long-term future. Like, does, it, that, does this mean this is his last year? It is, is it his last year in Boston? And we saw this with Zidane Ochara, right? Z, Z would always sign one-year deal, one-year deal. And then finally, he didn't sign a one-year deal in Boston. Um should Bruins fans be worried? They've lost Dave Krejci. They've lost to Dan Ochara. Uh, Tuka Rask is sort of in this holding pattern. Should they be worried that Patrice Bergeron could potentially be have one foot out the door? I, I mean, I, I think what you're worried about if you're a Boston fan is that he's 36 years old. And he's got 1,100 NHL games on his resume. And, and they're... There are 1,100 tough games. The, those are 1,100 Patrice Bergeron games. And uh, that's that's a lot of mileage. And, you know, the question of 
how much longer can he keep doing this? How much longer will he want to keep doing this? Uh, that's the part that, that I wonder about. And, and I'll be honest, when I first heard his comments, my first thought was this is a player who isn't sure how much longer he wants to play as opposed to this is a player who might want to go somewhere else or might be open to going somewhere else. So uh, I can't imagine Patrice Bergeron in any other uniform, but if you had asked me a year and a bit ago, I would have said the same thing about Zidane Ochara, and and we saw how that worked out. It, this is a business. Uh, tough decisions get made. Uh, you know, you, you look at the Bruins, where they were two years ago, and, and going into this season, no Chara, no Krejci, maybe no Tuka Rask permanently, uh, certainly not to start the year. It, 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 it is a changing of the guard, and the era is ending in Boston, and uh, and Patrice Bergeron is is maybe the guy who symbolizes that era more than anyone else. Um, you know, I, I, I can't picture him going somewhere else, but he's, he's not going to be around for the next 10 years. This is, there, there is a limited, uh, window left for, uh, for him in Boston one way or another. And, uh, you know, as a Bruins fan, you hate to think about that, even as you, you know, just appreciate the hell out of everything he's brought to the tables as he's been here. All right. Time for us to open up. Uh, a little bit of the uh, the mailbag. Actually, it's, once again, we're going to open up the voicemail on this edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. We want to remind our listeners uh, that you can uh, drop us an email, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com, or you can kick it old school and drop us a voicemail. That's right. We've got an answering machine, answering service, and you can actually leave us a message and we'll play it. Uh, 845- 445-8459 is that number. 845-445-8459. Have a listen. Here's a caller from uh, the state of Pennsylvania, Sean, who wants to know about the Hall of Fame uh, candidacy for a former Minnesota North Star. Hey, guys. I was just listening to the Hall of Fame debate, and I was wondering if a good faith argument could be made on Neil Broughton. He was on the 1980 Olympic team. I had almost a thousand points, almost a point per game guy. Didn't play as long as some. I feel like he might be just a hall of very good player, but I feel like he often gets overlooked. Plus, he almost spent his entire career with one franchise. And if that franchise was not the Minnesota North Stars slash Dallas Stars and was Montreal, Toronto, New York, Los Angeles, he probably would be in the Hall of Fame already. Just thought it was an interesting player to bring up here. Thanks. All right, Sean. Uh, you and I have talked about this a little bit over the summer. Uh, candidates who are sort of in a gray area for the Hall of Fame. Where do we put Neil Broughton? Yeah, I mean, he's he's he was a real good player. He was not a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, the the case uh, that, that our listener lays out is, is basically the case for why this guy should at least be in the conversation. And yeah, I, I mean, that that... That does make some sense. Had had the international success, was a very good player in the NHL, uh, but no, not a Hall of Famer. This, this guy never won an award. He had exactly one season in his career where he was uh, got any heart votes at all. Um, it was uh, played in the greatest offensive era in the history of hockey, and and didn't crack three hundred goals, didn't crack a thousand points. So, uh, no, a Hall of very good player for sure. Not a guy who who should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, even given the fact that, you know, he was on Team USA, he was one of the the big early American stars in that era coming out of the, that Olympics where uh, you know, we really started to, to notice American players and you can give him some credit for that. Uh, but no, the, the case the case doesn't get there. Although I got to say, I'm, you know, we did Patrick Elias last week. 
Neil Broughton this week. I'm kind of fascinated by the idea that just every week people are going to keep calling in with like slightly worse Hall of Fame candidates and just see how far down the list we can go before uh, I completely snap and, and lose my mind over it. Yeah. And, 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 well, and wait, Neil Broughton also played with the, which of the Broughton boys ended up playing with the Devils? All that of was Aaron. Uh, well, Neil Aaron? Broughton did. Aaron Broughton was the Devils but, as well, but Neil did as well. Neil I think there was the a end, couple right? years and then he yeah. bounced back to, to the stars. So yeah. the, the other thing that I'll say, because the listener made a, an interesting point and it's a point you hear a lot, which is, hey, if this guy played in a bigger market, his, he would be considered a Hall of Famer or his case would be considered stronger. And I got to say, as someone who looks at the Hall of Fame a lot, I don't see a ton of that. Uh, we we all kind of assume, and certainly, you know, when it comes to recognition during the career, we can all point to players where, that get either more or less attention than they probably warrant based on their, their market. I don't see a ton of it when it comes to the Hall of Fame. A lot of the guys that we would consider weaker candidates um, who did make it in played in smaller markets. There are some guys who were strong candidates who who either didn't make it in or had to wait a long time. I know everyone always points. They say, well, Toronto and Montreal, they get all the Hall of Famers. Well, Pat Burns had to wait forever. And he was, you know, he was known for coaching those two teams, um, perhaps uh, more than than anything else he did. Uh, you know, we can find examples and counterexamples, but I got to say, I've, I've looked at this from so many different angles and where are the biases and where do we see this or that? I don't see a ton of bias in the Hall of Fame towards guys who played in big markets, even though you might expect to see that in there. Okay. I also threw this question out on Twitter earlier on Thursday because coming up, and if if you're on social media or you've got an Amazon Prime account, you have probably seen the promos for the Toronto Maple Leafs behind the scenes look at last season. It's called All or Nothing. It's sort of just like what HBO has done with Hard Knocks, uh, with the NFL. Uh, we've seen it 24-7. We've got a Leafs version coming up October the 1st. And the question I posed on social media on Thursday, Sean, was if you had sort of unfettered access to one team in hockey history, who would you choose? Like, which team would you, like, want to be like, you know what? I'd love to see cameras set up there, see what, what went on. So I'm going to read a few submissions we got from... Yep. Listeners here, you tell me if you'd be in. Of course, Sean, we did get a ton of people saying, load me up 80s Oilers. I want to see what yeah. really happened behind the curtains with those Oilers teams in the 80s. Yeah, they're, they're really taking the uh, unfettered access uh, concept uh, to, their, to the extreme. Yeah, I mean, look, there's th- those were fascinating teams on the ice. Uh, lots of fun characters off the ice. Lots of rumors uh, about uh, you know, some of the stuff that was going on. If you really did have access to absolutely everything, that, that that would be a real good pick. And they did have the, um, what was that document? It was called Boys on the Bus, right? Yeah, that it, was more late That was like the rated PG, the yeah. PG version. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. A couple of other ones here. Lots of people saying, I would love some early 70s Boston Bruins. Old school Boston Bruins. Because you probably, I mean... Obviously, you got Orr and Espizo, but like Derek Sanderson, when you talk to people, they're like, Derek Sanderson was super uh, out there, right? Like there, there, mm-hmm. there'd probably be some really great stuff from the, the Bruins of the 70s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and geez, if you got the, the later Bobby Orr years where you got Don Cherry there, I mean, he, he was, uh, it, I, if you've never done it, look up old Don Cherry coaching interviews. Uh, he, was, he was a character even back then, so that could be interesting. I think any team from the 70s, if you could go back, 
see what it was like and then show that to today's fans, it would, it would just blow some minds at how, how different the league was in, in pretty much every way back then. Okay. So a couple of people also writing in would love to see some behind the scenes stuff uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers, the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, but now if I, if, if I'm asking you, you get your unfettered access to one team, which, which team is Sean picking? Yeah, you know, I thought about this and I, I I even went through it on the mailbag a little bit. And there, there's a few and there's obviously a bunch of teams where there was some rumored scandal and you think, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could get it, if we had all the, the information there. But it, it, as far as just stuff that I think would actually make it onto a broadcast, I'm going to I'm going to cheat a little bit. OK, you tell me if this is allowed instead of a season. Can I give you a calendar year Ooh, for a team? Okay, yeah. OK, I want the 1996 Detroit Red Wings. Because here's here's what you get with them. You you've got the second half of the 95-96 season where they're having one of the great regular seasons of all time. Just an absolute 130 point something like that monster. There's all sorts of pressure on them. They've they've lost in the Stanley Cup final the year before. This is finally the year they're going to break through and this long Stanley Cup drought that uh, this great market is going through. Uh they go into the playoffs they run into the St. Louis Blues. They have that epic series. Remember the, the double overtime, the Steve Eiserman goal. I mean, they, they all know the team is getting blown up if they lose to the, the 80-point yeah. St. Louis Blues. They they go in double overtime. Eiserman scores the, one of the greatest goals in hockey history to win that series. Then they go and they face Colorado. We all know that what happens there. It's the Chris Draper, uh, uh, Claude Lemieux series and and all the bad feelings that go from that. They lose that series. They go into the offseason. This is the team that can't get it done. What is wrong with the Red Wings? They're, they're apparently almost trade Steve Eiserman in the offseason because, they, you know, imagine those discussions in the <laughs> back rooms. He had the, the GM sitting around talking, going, do we win with Steve Eiserman? Do we have to move this guy? Should we send him to Ottawa for Alexi Ashen? Uh, and then they start the season and you get the uh, the Brennan Shanahan trade early in that, that season, which had all sorts of drama attached to it. Paul Coffey didn't want to go. Keith Primo didn't want to go. There were rumors that Coffey was working behind the scenes to torpedo the trade, calling people behind the scenes saying, don't make this trade. I'm not going to go. We got to prevent this. Um, and then it, finally Shanahan arrives and that kind of becomes the birth of what we now consider to be the Detroit Red Wings and that uh, that we all know from that era. But it was it was very shaky and there were a lot of really interesting points in that calendar year. Um, including somewhere it could have gone really bad and, and changed hockey history uh, in some significant ways. I, I'll allow it if we can draw the line back to December of 95, because I want that game at the yes. forum where they chase Patrick yep. Waugh. Let's do be, that then. Yeah, I want I want cameras on the, the Mike Vernon, Patrick Waugh breakfast diner meeting where, where Vernon tells him that, uh, you know, it's not so bad to get a change. And uh, boy, did, uh, did he ever. Okay, uh, here's my submission. If I could have unfettered video access of one team in hockey history, I think you might agree with me on this. Give me Team USA 1998 Nagano Olympics. Oh, that's a good one. Yep, that's that's a real good one. Yeah, what let's find out what happened. Hotel room? What? Yeah, who trashed it? How did it happen? Like what went on? There was some big ego. Like, wouldn't you love to see what really happened there? I, I got to tell you, there's, and, and you probably have had the same experience. There are so many situations in hockey history where there have been rumors about this or that. And anytime, if you ask anyone, a lot of times they just kind of roll their eyes and they go, nah, you know, that never happened. Or the story you've heard is nowhere near the way it actually went down. 
you ask anyone about that, about that U.S. team, U.S.A. team, they change the subject real quick. Yeah, uh, something happened there, and yeah, that the only problem is your your cameras would have been busted up too. That's uh, you you probably wouldn't have the footage because you would have been a bunch of 1998 era uh, video cassettes just uh, strewn around uh, strewn around a hotel lobby. Okay, let's wrap up the show as we always do with a little. Uh, this week in hockey history. And this week, actually, Sean, there's a couple of significant trades uh, involving defensemen. Let's start with this one, September the 6th, 1991. So we're exactly uh, 30 years ago this week. The San Jose Sharks, a brand new team, uh, first season in the league, acquired Doug Wilson from the Chicago Blackhawks. And it's it's crazy to think because, you know, if you said the name Doug Wilson to me right now, I'd be like, oh, yeah, San Jose Sharks. I, the guy was like a Hall of Fame caliber a defenseman, certainly an all-star, uh, Norris caliber trophy uh, defenseman mm-hmm. for a long time for Chicago. And yet, in my mind, I think of him as a shark more than a Blackhawk. Yeah, and it's it's strange because, you know, when you mentioned it, I don't think it's strange to think of him as a shark. He's been the, the team's GM for, you know, for uh, almost a couple of decades now. But it's it's so much so that when I picture Doug Wilson, I picture him in a shark's uniform. And you're yeah. right. I mean, for, for a decade in Chicago, he's one of the very best defenseman in the league and uh you know uh, and yet i picture him wearing the teal no helmet uh you know with the the hair it was still looking pretty good there even towards the end uh yeah certainly he's more associated with the sharks now but uh there's there's a lot of old school chicago fans i'm sure out there who'd say wait a second this guy was real real good with us yeah okay now speaking of norris caliber defenseman getting moved uh this week in 1982 september the 9th 1982 Washington acquires Rod Langway from the Montreal Canadiens, and Langway goes on to win the Norris Trophy, Sean, in each of his first two seasons with the Capitals. And, you know, when you talk about lopsided trades in NHL history, this one isn't really at the top of the mind for a lot of people, but maybe it should be, right? That was exactly the point that I was going to make to you. And, and I, yeah. I actually wanted your perspective because you you grew up as, as a Montreal fan. And I feel like when you talk about a, big trades in NHL history, and B, lopsided trades, that this one doesn't really seem to come up. Come up. We all talk about Doug Gilmore. We all talk about Brett Hull. If you want to jump back further, there are a couple of Phil Esposito trades we could put on the list, but nobody talks about the Montreal Canadiens trading away, uh, I think, 23, 24-year-old defenseman who then wins back-to-back Norris trophies, not five years down the road, but right away uh, with his new team. And it, it just doesn't seem to come up. And and I got to say, this is, to me, one of the most fascinating trades in NHL history because we all look back at it as as the, the Habs trading away Rod Langway. It was a much bigger deal than that. It was, this was like a five or six player, six player deal. deal. And, and Montreal at the time, they didn't just trade Rod Langway. They traded Brian Engblom, who most of us you, you, today probably think of as a broadcaster, but this was another guy in his early 20s. Uh, they had these two defensemen, both in their early 20s, both real good. Both of them had finished in the top 10 in Norris voting that year in 1982. Uh, and in fact, Emblon finished finished higher. His stats, let me just tell you, in 1981-82, so his, his last year, uh, he was a plus, I got to find it now, some ridiculous number, plus 60. He was at plus 78 
For the 1981-82 Montreal Canadiens, he had been plus 63 to lead the league the year before. Plus 78. And as a 20, in his, okay, he was a 27-year-old defenseman. So you got Engblom's the veteran guy. You've got uh, Langway's the younger guy who's kind of learning. They're basically Montreal's top pair as a defense. And Montreal's top defenseman is always going to be Larry Robinson as long as he's there. He's the big name. But this is their, their top pair. They trade both guys in the same trade to the Washington Capitals, uh, as well as some other players. And in exchange, they get Ryan Walter. And Ryan Walter's a guy that, because of when I grew up, I picture him as being like, a, he was an okay middle six forward for those Montreal Canadian teams. Um, but Ryan Walter actually, at the time that this deal went down, was one of the most promising up-and-coming forwards in the league. He had been the second overall pick in 78. He had had three pretty good years in Washington, had already been named Washington's capital. And then in 81-82, he has a big breakout. He scores almost 40 goals, finishes with like 90 points. Um, He's still only 22, 23 years old. Montreal trades a huge chunk of their roster to get this guy. Uh, And he comes over and he he never really hits those heights again in Montreal. uh, But if you look at it, you can understand why they made that move. And there were a whole bunch of financial implications too. There were, there were a lot of players in Montreal wanted new deals. So it was kind of a case of, we got to move some guys out, but they go and trade, uh, they trade Langway and Engblom to Washington. Langway wins the Norris trophy for two years. And in, by the way, in case you're wondering, well, what happened with Brian Engblom? He had one year in Washington, wasn't super great. So they traded him the next year and they got some kid named Larry Murphy. I mean, Talk about remaking your franchise. And this is the this is basically the trade. The Washington Capitals, ever since they'd come in an expansion for the five, six, seven years, they had been the joke of, of a franchise. This is, you know, whatever you you team the Sabres today, that's what the Capitals were back then. This was the trade that flipped the switch on that. And uh and it was fascinating. I went back and looked up an old article on it, and it, it was they made reference to uh Washington's young GM David Poyle uh rolling the dice on this trade and uh uh, you know, here we are almost 40 years later and he's still at it. Yeah, no, it, it, it's nuts. Like a lot, a lot of people tell you that that deal saved hockey in Washington, right? Because Langway yep, comes absolutely. in and, and, and they mm-hmm. become a, a, a credible team and they, they started being a really good team in the Patrick division in the 80s. But before then, uh, they weren't. And, and, you know, it's funny, too. Rick Green, who was in that trade, was a number one overall pick, too, at, yep. at some point in the 70s. Right. So it, you're right. We. Not only was it maybe a little bit lopsided, but it's a blockbuster deal that we probably yeah. don't talk about. Doug Jarvis it, was in that yeah, trade. It was, like, I mean, it, it was a, a monster trade. Uh, went down a couple of days before before training camp and, and, and was a trade, by the way, that was not well received in Montreal at the time. I mean, they, even back then, people were going, wait a second, you, you can't move this much out. Uh, just, just to get this, this one kid who comes in and, and who knows? I mean, you, uh, you know, maybe you get to continue your career in Washington instead of being coming into the pressure cooker of Montreal where they've, exactly. they've just torn up their blue line to get you, you know, maybe his career goes a little bit different. Can I throw one other thing at you? Cause th- this is yeah. kind of only a little bit related to the trade itself, but uh, you know, we all, we all say, and it's true Montreal trade at Rod Langway and then he wins the Norris two years in a row. Um, Rod Langway had 30 something points right. both years that he won the Norris Trophy in the early 80s. Uh, and in fact, the the year, the second year that he won his second of back-to-back Norris Trophies, Rod Langway had nine goals and 24 assists. He had 33 points. 
Second place that year, Paul Coffey had 40 goals, 86 <laughs> points, 100, or, sorry, 86 assists, 126 points. And Paul Coffey finished second to this defensive defenseman, Rod Langway, in the greatest offensive era. You talk about records that will never, ever be broken. Uh, how about uh, that? You, I, I'm, I'm doing the math in my head. 93 points, I want to say. Rod Langway finished 93 points behind Paul Coffey and still beat him for the Norris Trophy. Uh, the list of players who defensemen who have scored that many points in a season is very short. Um, for whatever reason, voters in the early 80s, yeah. I, I think it was a backlash to the offensive explosion, decided we are giving this plodding defensive defenseman our Norris love because uh, he was a real good player. But uh, Paul Coffey had to be sitting there going, guys, what do I have to do to get, get some notice? And, and as we wrap this up, was that the same year that Steve Casper won the Selkie Award with like a minus 19 rating? Like maybe we need to dig into the awards voting of 1982. I, you know what? I, we talked about that on one of our <laughs> earliest podcasts. I yeah. have an answer for you. Oh, I okay. actually found the answer of how did Steve Casper, who was like 20 years old and a minus on the season, win the Selkie Trophy? Uh, it Can was I make that, a guess? Yeah, go ahead. Did he shut down Wayne Gretzky in like two head-to-head games or something like that? He, he didn't just shut him down. He was one of the very first shadows. He was the guy they sent him out, and he just followed Wayne Gretzky around. If you're a young fan, you might not know what a shadow was, but back in the day, that was where you sent a guy out there, and you just said, follow that guy around. And, and back then, you could obstruct and just hook and hold. And yeah, he shut down Wayne Gretzky as a shadow by basically just following him around and 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 the the funny thing is you look up the numbers he didn't even really shut him down it's not you know Gretzky was still real good but i think people just saw that and they were like oh that's going to be the future again this sort of pushback to all of these offensive records that were that were falling had fallen in the 70s and now they were falling again in the 80s and i think there was a bit of a backlash to that Oilers team and the fact that okay this guy's just going to skate around behind Wayne Gretzky with one hand on his back and tugging at his jersey we like that. We're going to give that guy our Selkie votes, even though over the course of the season, he didn't really do that much. Man. Yeah. Like I said, one day we'll just do a deep dive into that whole 80, like 82, whatever, 81, 82 uh, voting stuff. Some, some wild stuff there. All right. We'll leave it there. And like we said earlier in the podcast, Sean, you're going to get a week off uh, from this. So listen, enjoy hopefully a little bit of downtime and we'll get you in, in, in a couple of weeks. That, that sounds good. And I'm going to throw one last thing out there. Yeah. I know that at the beginning when I was trying to rhyme off all the teams, that were in a division with the Penguins. And I said, I think I left one team out. It was the Islanders. I know I left off the Islanders. Islander fans, please. I don't need, I know some of you have already tweeted me. Please don't come and burn my house down. (laughs) I I Yes, your team is very underappreciated. And I apologize deeply uh, that they were the team that I, I couldn't pull in that moment. Okay, there you go. See, that's the disclaimer we put at the end of the podcast. All right. So when so, I'm not there next week, don't yeah. assume it's because the Islander fans got me up, but don't assume that it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. Well said. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, we want to remind people that uh, earlier this week, a Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, a terrific conversation with our feature writer, Dan Robson, and the great one, Wayne Gretzky, who uh, took some time to talk about his very uh, personal and poignant relationship with the late, great Ace Bailey. This coming, of course, on uh, this weekend's the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks in which uh, Ace Bailey, unfortunately, uh, perished along with uh, 3,000 other people. So uh, it's a great conversation. It's very light. It's Wayne Gretzky at his best telling stories. So we want to encourage you 
uh, to listen to that because it really is powerful and moving. And thanks again for joining us for this uh, latest edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. Like I said, drop us an email, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. And if you're not a subscriber with us, you can join us at uh, theathletic.com slash hockey show for 50% off an annual subscription. You can also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content that we're pumping out there. Start with a 30-day free trial, and then you can go on for just 99 cents a month after that.